Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. What is going on, everyone? Casey Adams here. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young podcast. On today's episode, we have Cindy Eckert here with us. Cindy Ecker is an American entrepreneur who has built and sold two pharmaceutical companies. Over a distinguished 24-year career in healthcare, in only the last 10, she has started and sold two businesses for more than $1.5 billion. First, Slate Pharmaceuticals, which redefined long-acting testosterone treatment for men. Then, Sprout Pharmaceuticals, which broke through with their first-ever FDA-approved drug for low sexual desire in women, dubbed the female Viagra by the media. After selling the company for $1 billion in 2015, she successfully fought to get the drug back and launch it on her own terms. This conversation with Cindy Eckert is by far one of my most amazing conversations with an entrepreneur who has not only built a $1 billion company, but has truly redefined an industry when the odds were stacked against her. So before we dive into the episode, I want you to please take a screenshot of this episode, post it on your Instagram story, tag Cindy Eckert, tag myself so that other people can listen to the episode as well. And last but not least, enjoy the episode. What is going on, everyone? Casey Adams here. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young podcast. On today's episode, we have Cindy Eckert here with us. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Cindy. Oh, it's awesome to be here. Finally, Casey. I feel I like we've been trying this for a while. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. So, number one, I am so impressed with your story. You've built and sold two pharmaceutical companies. And I know that we got connected through Dan Fleshman and yes. we've just known each other, but this is our first time having a sit down conversation. <laughs> We're social I'm, I'm media friends, so I feel like I'm constantly <laughs> saying to Casey, oh my God, great guest, great show. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I really want to ask you because you have so much of an amazing story. What, how did you get involved in the pharmaceutical business? Because that's not something that many people <laughs> dive into. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, and your crowd is going to appreciate this because I was really, it was much more simplistic than that. And that is that I'm really a business person at heart. From the time I was a little girl, I really loved like what makes some businesses exceptional and others like, eh, you know, what builds loyalty in, in yep. essence. And so when I got out of college, I wanted to work for Fortune's most admired company. That was my single mm. criteria. I'm going to go work for the best. If I learn from the best, I can take it anywhere. And I'm telling you, Casey, it could have been an aerospace company. It could have been a yeah. oil company. 
it was a pharmaceutical company at the time. It was Merck Pharmaceuticals, which is a bit still, you know, a huge yep. pharma company today. And that's what started me on that path is going to learn from the best. I'll tell you what I learned really quickly. Two things. One, I don't fit in big environments <laughs> because I want to be heard. I want to make yep. a difference and make a mark. And two, I love science. And that was sort of the surprise. I didn't chase pharma because I was a scientist, but when I got there and I saw the difference it could make in people's lives, I wanted to stay, but in an environment in which I could make a bigger mark. Yep, wow, very cool. So you started Sprout Pharmaceuticals in what year was it? So that was in 2011 and that was my second company. Oh, but no, it's easier, it. yeah, my first company was actually called Slate. And like truly, the name says it all, right? Yes. Clean slate. I was going to do it on my own terms. I had been in the business for a while. You know, I had enough people in my contact list that I thought I could do it yep. for myself. And I was in an industry that, like I said, I love for what they could do, but I don't really love how they got it done. Yep. And so like a little bit of, you know, I think I can do this better <laughs> or at yeah, least yeah. I'm going to make my own messes instead of cleaning up other people's messes. That was clean slate. I'm going to do this on my own, on my own terms. And that, being, that process of building slate is what led me to Sprout, which I'm best known for this company because the whole world has heard of female Viagra at this point, and yeah. that's what we were all about. <laughs> yeah, no, I was about to ask about that because you created you know, the female Viagra. Yeah. What, like, where did that come from? And what was your drive to create that yeah. product? I'll tell you, I'm driven... I'm fueled my whole life by injustices. Mm -hmm. And there were 26 medications for men. I'm gonna say it again, 26 yes, FDA approved medications for men and not a single one for women. Wow. Are you kidding? Like, yeah. you know that math doesn't make sense. And here's <laughs> the thing, Casey, in my first company slate, I built one of those companies in men. So I had one of those 26 products. And so I really understood the space the science in the space and the complete inequity that women didn't have options of their own. And that fired me up. That was really yeah. why I got on that path. I actually made this crazy decision to take um, Slate. And you know, it was hard. It's a startup. Like yep. you hit all the road bumps. I finally had gotten it to a place where like our sales looked like this and I sold it. And everybody was like, what? You're going back to zero? And I went back to zero to take it on for women. Wow. So when you sold Slate, how, like, what did you take from that experience into this new company, Sprout Pharmaceuticals? Because I'm sure it was a whole learning curve. So oh, crazy! what was that transition curve. like, you know, having a, a successful exit? I'm sure yeah. that's something that, you know, every entrepreneur strives to have a big exit. So yeah. going from that to then starting a brand new company to solve another problem, just bring us to that transition <laughs> period. And what, okay. What through your mind? I'm going to tell you the transition and I'm going to see what your reaction is. So here's what I did. Um, I was so bound and determined to do this for women that, again, I made this decision to sell off this company and men. I literally sprouted out of it one day before I sold it. That's why it was Sprout. And the next day I went to work on Sprout. So there was no celebration. I sold wow. it for hundreds of millions of dollars. And I, I didn't take a breath. And I didn't take a breath because I was so convicted that this was the right thing to do, that this was the mission to be on. Did I take lessons with me? A hundred percent. Cause I stepped on, you know, tons of landmines. I still do today. I will okay. say that. Um, but in building the first business, the truth is the biggest lesson I learned was actually from my sale that I applied to my next company. 
So can I tell that story or is it pretty much sure? Okay. Please. So when I sold off Slate, you know, many times when you sell a business, you get money, you either get cash or stock up front, and then you participate in like a royalty stream or some kind of milestone payments. So when I sold Slate, I got a, a, a check up front, a big check, but then I also got to participate in royalties, mailbox money for years for all my shareholders. And it was governed by a provision called best efforts. That's like standard legal language, a best efforts clause. Okay. But then what you realize when you enter into a contract with somebody like that is, hmm, my best efforts and your best efforts are different. So you're constantly sad that they're not putting what you would put into it. So when I sold Sprout, I'm fast forwarding a little bit of my story. I sold Sprout. I wrote a better contract. I wrote a contract in which they were bound by really specific obligations. What would they spend on marketing? How many salespeople would they have? Those kind of basics. And when they didn't do that, I had an opportunity to get it back. So I'm fast forwarding my story, but you know, Sprout, I sold and I got it back. Yeah. So when you got it back and like, when did you make the decision that you wanted to get it back? Right. Cause you sell this company, you could be doing anything with your time in the world. Right. <laughs> yeah. Why did yeah. You okay. Back? Here is this crazy story, everybody. So I had this incredible journey through the FDA to finally break through with the first ever. It's, it doesn't actually work like Viagra. It works on women's brains, but it's the yeah. first drug ever in the world for women's libido issues. So we break through it was like a tale of two sexes going through. Viagra got approved in six months. It took me six years with this drug. Wow. It was a constant struggle, a very public conversation. So I, I, get, I win, and I win science won, but women won when we did. Two days later, I sell the company for a billion dollars up front, a billion, because it met such a huge yeah. need for women. And the idea was they're gonna march it across the globe. They're gonna keep my team who were so committed to this mission. And then their business hit a road bump and they put it on the shelf. They got rid of me. They got rid of all of my team. And you know what? I didn't fight that hard for women to finally have this option yeah. for it to go back on the shelf. Yeah. So I started right away going back at them. And thank goodness for that contract. I ended up getting it back for nothing. But my shareholders all kept the billion dollars. Wow. That is <laughs> so fascinating. Like When you sell a company for a billion dollars, I want to ask you just, you know, starting off, you're a scientist at heart. You want to solve a problem. Yeah, for sure. Were you ever motivated by money itself? Or how did that, you know, that check change your life? Yeah, I, I'm going to be really honest with you. Like, I'm super competitive. Yep. Um, I like to win. But none of us set out to create a blockbuster drug. We set out to change the conversation about women and sex yep. forever. That's what, you know, if you yep. don't feel it at your core, the days when you get punched straight in the face, you run straight into the brick wall, you will give up if you're not doing it for that reason. And so the, the money was this sort of after effect. And yeah. I think it took me, it really has been very difficult even to this day for me to process because people say, what did you do? And it's not like I wasn't excited and you, know, yeah. you see a check with that many zeros and you're like, am I seeing that correctly? But the truth is just like between Slate and Sprout, I woke up the next day and I went to work because that's what I love to do. Love it. Slate and Sprout, I noticed that. I just, I'm curious. They both start with an S. Is there a reason yeah. why? <laughs> no, not really. Okay. No. Yeah. Okay. So where does the pink branding come from? Ever since yes. going on social media, even to right now, <laughs> pink <intensive>. everything. <laughs> and I love yes. <laughs> Where does that you come know from? What? It is. So I will say like, it's very difficult to find even a childhood picture of me where I'm not in pink. 
But wow. when I went on the path for Sprout, my pill was called the little pink pill. Yep. The little, and when people would say that, they would say, oh, that's cute, the little pink pill. And what I knew in that is there was an implied weakness. Uh, it was trivial to them. And I thought, you know, like in anything where we make assumptions in life, especially gender stereotypes, for example, you have two choices, right? You're either going to let that like shake your confidence or you're going you're gonna to push away from it. You're going to show up in your, your black pantsuit. Or if you're me, you're going to dress in blazing hot pink, show up way from the audience and say, guess what we're going to talk about today? And so that was really the decision. I mean, pink for me was a shift from underestimated to unapologetic. Wow. Love that. I sort of want to, I just want to go back in time. I know that um, you went to a college in Virginia. That is where yeah. I'm from. And I want to ask you, you know, when you're in college studying, did you plan to start your company or was that, because I know you talked about, you know, you had this business mind early on. Yeah. Was that always something you wanted to do as you went through, you know, your childhood or when did that sprout up? <laughs> Good. I like it. Um, <laughs> you know, what's funny is I've always loved I've loved business in the sense of what makes them great. And I'm fortunate that I had a professor who like knew I had this curiosity about what makes businesses tick. And it's really like she saw it and she forced me into special projects, which I probably didn't appreciate at the time or what she was masterminding. And she would make me do all of this research on businesses. Wow. And through that, that's really why I decided I'm going to work for Fortune's Most Admired. But I don't think I was clear at that point that I was going to run it, even though I have two big brothers that will tell you that through my whole childhood, every game I designed, I was the CEO of. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Growing up, I know that you moved a lot. I did. Talk to me about that. How did that play a significant role in your life? Yeah. Well, so I'm from upstate New York originally, Rochester, New York. And my dad comes home one day and he says, hey do you want to go to Fiji? And I had never even heard of Fiji. I like went to the globe, you know, in our family room and like twirled it around. It was the other side of the world. And I thought adventurous at heart. I said, yeah, I want to go to Fiji. He goes, great. Cause we're moving there. Wow. Like that's such a natural transition for like a middle-class kid in Rochester, New York. Um, but my dad is an adventurer. And in that sense, even though at the time, I think I probably, like any kid who's being you know, uprooted every year, I moved every year from the fourth grade through my senior year of high school. Wow. Um, I probably was a little reserved about it, but here was the gift. The gift was I got really comfortable being uncomfortable because yep. you are not going to be popular when you walk into school. Yeah. The first day is the weird new kid. Um, and that has served me so well in entrepreneurship because you have to be um, confident, if you will, standing in a discomfort. If you're going to try something new, you're going to do something that no one's ever done, you better be pretty comfortable um, with that discomfort. And everybody poke it at you a little bit. Yeah. So what made you um, go to Raleigh, North Carolina? Yeah. So I picked it. I totally picked it. I had no connection to this, uh, to this place, but I decided, um, you know, it, I wanted to build, obviously I was building pharmaceutical healthcare companies. So I wanted a base of talent. And, um, and I thought I'd ended up in um, the Philly area and my mom's from the deep South. My dad's a New Yorker. And I was like, Hmm, I'm going the wrong direction. I need to go that direction. <laughs> yeah. And I really came to Raleigh thinking, Oh, I can recruit anybody to move here because it's such a great place to live. 
And the, the pleasant surprise to me is the talent is here in spades because of NC State and UNC yeah. and Duke. And there's such a great infrastructure here of talent. It's been such a great place to build businesses. Raleigh's a little bit of a secret. Yeah. People don't realize that it's number two in the country for exits at a three to 10 X multiple. So no we way. beat the Valley in that regard. Yeah. Not- yeah. Just nobody's talking about it. Yeah. That's a little hidden gem. I used to go to Raleigh <laughs> a lot for it's, I played hockey growing up for 10 years. Oh yeah. I went to Raleigh probably every other month growing up. So I yeah. got to Raleigh. Very cool. It's a great place. I, I want to talk about just building team culture. I know that when oh, you guys yeah. got acquired, it was, you had like 34 employees. Is that correct? I did. Yeah. How do you look at building team culture and hiring and just finding talent, especially in what you do? Oh, I'll tell you what. It's really, so I love a book. I'll tell all of your folks, all of your audience. I love Purple Cow. If you haven't read it, it's actually a marketing book. But to me, it said a lot about how you build businesses. You know, how do you, in essence, stand out in a sea of sameness? And I think when I'm interviewing people, that's really what I'm looking for. They're abundantly qualified, right? They're sitting across from me. But it's that it factor. It's that difference of how they show up and make choices every day. So I say there's six choices you have to make to come work for me. And here's what they are. You got to choose to be an owner. Ownership is a mindset. It's not just literal skin in the game or equity. It is how you show up in my mind in your life. You got to choose to be bold. Fortune favors the bold. We all know that quote. Uh, You got to choose to be quirky. That's a weird choice. What do I mean by that? It means man, if you're in an environment in which you're not celebrated for your individuality, leave. Because those environments will not be the most successful environments. You got to choose to be learning every single day. Casey is like the quintessential, he's the poster child for that. And that's so important. I haven't met a single successful person who isn't steeped in curiosity. And I think my final two are, we're very familiar. You choose to be family and you choose to be appreciative. You just, that's a, that's life, right? You, you make a choice every morning when you wake up, how you're going to go through this world. And I would say you're so much better off going through with an attitude of gratitude. I love that. I'm looking for those things when I hire people, I hire against it. I fire against it. I incentivize against it. Like that's the thing. If you're building a culture, every single decision you make has to ladder up to who you really want to be. Yep. Love that. Just Nowadays, especially during quarantine, where do you spend your time now with everything happening? And, you know, I had the COO of Shopify on and they're talking about having remote workers for the rest of the year. Just how you adapted during this time and where do you spend your time on a day to day? Yeah. So I spend my time like this, interacting uh, with people. And I'll tell you the, I can't, I have to say this, like, it's a shame that I wasn't doing this before COVID with my team. Like we would talk, we text, we do everything, but there's something about getting on a video call that now is enduring. Like we'll never lose this discipline because we've really appreciated it during this. I mean, I hope I always spend my time in the trenches because that's the only place you learn. If you sit disconnected from everything, you know, especially as a leader, as a CEO, you are, you're not going to know where your business is going. I love to sit on our phone calls if people um, like customer service call in. I laugh because, you know, my incredible team will say, Cindy, like, get off. Like, <laughs> you're not as good at this as we are um, eventually. But like my days are spent with my people. And, um, you know, for everybody out there who either looks at, you know, looks at businesses or anything else, you'll see a lot of great ideas in your life. Um, ideas are kind of a dime a dozen. 
but great people are who execute that, those ideas. That's what you should always be choosing. Love it. Speaking of great ideas, I know you launched Pink Ceiling. In I did. Where you invest in early age startup started by I women, did. is that correct? Yeah, more guys doing great work for women. Okay, okay. Yeah. very cool. Yeah. Talk to me about this because this is super fascinating to me. You know, eventually I want to be in the VC world and back companies. So yeah. talk to me about this passion of yours and what it looks like in 2020 oh. you guys are. Oh, I love it. Okay. So, um, so here's why I did it. So I sold my business. Like I told you, the sale didn't go the way I expected. Like all of a sudden I was out and I'm sitting there a little bit on the sidelines feeling sorry for myself. And I thought, come on, like, that's not who you are. Pick yourself up and go do the good work. And I knew having lived that experience that the best work I would do going forward is to advocate is to advocate for not only myself, but for each other, if you will, for women. I've walked a mile in those stilettos. Everybody laughed me out of the room when I went mm -hmm. to raise money um, to get the female Viagra to market. And so I reach my hand back and I try to get women there faster than myself in the pink sand, putting my money where my mouth is. I got to know it's my money. It's not a fund. No. And, um, and I really do roll my sleeves up alongside people who are doing incredibly disruptive um, first to market and often like catalyst in social conversation. So I'll give you an example. We have a technology. If I dip my finger in a drink, I touch a disc. In 30 seconds, it tells me if there's a date rape drug in that drink. Wow. Those are the kind of things I want to see in this world. By the way, guys worked on that, um, but it's a great, and I can't, my niece is yeah. in college. I can't get it for them soon enough. Um, <laughs> you know, I've got um, the first flushable pregnancy test coming to market. It's really looking at things, and I think underdogs, that are overlooked by the system today because that's who I was and what fun it is to now be able to help them and say, no, 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 don't step on that landmine. I stepped on that landmine. Go left. Yeah. How, how much time does that, you know, occupy in your life, you know, yeah. part of these other companies and helping these other founders? It's, it's, um, you know, a ton of my time because I don't do passive investing. So if somebody is, you know, looking for a check and, and hoping they're going to send me an email and say, Hey, Cindy, can you connect me to so-and-so? I got plenty of friends who can do that for you. Yeah. Like, I really want to help you launch. Like I really, the, all of the people that come in under the pink ceiling umbrella have access to my team who've helped me build yeah. two companies successfully. And we're really like sleeves rolled up in the, in the trenches with you. That is so cool. And when, when I got Sprout back, it really kind of fell back in under the pink ceiling. So it's yeah. one of the companies under our umbrella. Okay. Very cool. So, so nowadays with Sprout, you still control that and own that. Correct? I do. Yeah. Yes. With shareholders. I have wonderful yeah. shareholders. Yes. And I know I saw an interview, um, you raised, it was over, over a hundred million dollars, correct? From private individuals. Yeah. Private yeah. Money, no venture capitalists. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Just raising capital, your experience and what you learned. <laughs> Well, I can tell you, like, I don't look the part to show up and raise money for a pharmaceutical company for everybody who's looking. And so, you know, that gives you a certain, by, by the numbers, right, the odds were stacked against me. 2%, 2% of all venture capital goes to female founded businesses. Again, that math doesn't add up. So I wasn't going to get money from the traditional path. So I had to create a new path. And I thought to myself, okay, who do I need to get in the room with? If I could get in the room with this person, you know a little bit about this, Casey. If I could get in the room with this person, yeah. that will open the door to that person and that person. And it's really what I did. Like, I didn't have a rich uncle. 
he w- I wasn't getting any check from anybody. So I had to go find this money. And I got into the room with a guy that had run healthcare banking for a big group. He was investing on his own. When I got in that room, I said, will you introduce me to three of your friends? Will they introduce me to five of their friends? Yeah. And so it went. And I built this incredible national network. They're now a secret weapon. Because when I get excited about these pink ceiling companies, I show it to all of them. They won big on me. And I, I hope that I can open the doors to people like that for others. Very cool. What's your advice to young women starting, starting businesses today? Because I think it's just, you have such an important role and you're a leader and you really empower women. I, I show your profile with literally my mom and my aunt. Oh, I love it. I, love. <laughs> Thank I, you. I have a four-year-old niece that, you know, when she's on social one day, you're going to be the first person that That's I want to but what's your advice to, you know, young female founders? Because like you said, the odds are stacked against you. Yeah. Venture capitalists, you know, invest in female founded companies. Yep. What's your advice there? So I'll tell you, I have a really practical piece of advice, which is if you're going to walk in the room and nobody who sits on the other side of the table is going to relate to what you are selling, ask them to have somebody in the room who relates. Mm. We forget that that's also our right. When, when you're getting an investor, you're choosing to. We make that mistake often as founders. We need the cash so bad, but you know, you're going to get into a partnership with these people. And I think that's really, it sounds so simple, but we forget to do that. And, and I'll flip the tables on me. So if somebody was coming to me with the next best invention in hockey, right? I'm not a hockey player. I would be like, I don't know, probably not interested, right? Because I don't really understand. But if somebody came to me and said, Cindy, I have an invention in hockey. It's going to change the game. Can you get people in the room who played hockey? And I did. And Casey was sitting next to me and he was going, oh my God, suddenly I'd be reaching for my checkbook. Yeah. So I think it's really, that's a very like fundamental in terms of raising money. I think the other piece of it is perfect your sense of humor. Give people room to correct, right? Like people aren't intentionally, just as an example I just gave you, I wouldn't be intentionally biased against a hockey invention. I just don't understand it. Yep. So give that room for people to be able to come your direction. Love it. When did you start going hard on social media? Because I know oh you're incredible <laughs> so Talk to me about this new side of your life. I'm so behind. Casey, I sold my company for a billion dollars. Everybody said, come speak on my stage. <laughs> what is your handle? And I was like, I've just been building companies for 10 years. Yeah. I haven't done any of that work. So do as I say, not as I do. Um, it's, you know, it's, fun, it's a fun piece, I think, today of building a company and a brand. We really do buy from people. Yeah. So now I'm playing a little bit of catch up. So thank you so much for introducing me to your audience. Absolutely. No, I, you've done such an incredible job. Anything I see pink, I think. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank but, you. Um, you know, I think it's so cool. So just taking a step back, like, during the 10 years of building your company, there was no social media. Like you were heads down building these businesses. And totally. I, I want to ask you, right? Cause I'm not in the pharmaceutical business and yeah. don't honestly have a lot of people personally that I know that have been in that business. What is the first step to starting a company in the pharmaceutical business? Because it's, Something that unless you know, you don't know. (laughs) I'll tell you what, go raise a lot of money because you're going to spend it. It's really very capital intensive. You know, if you think about drug development, 
Like yep. we, we may have 18 years before something comes into the market. I haven't really been in that game per se. Like even when I got the um, product, it's called Addy, um, the Sprouts product, it was already had been developed and had been gone, had gone down that path with a German company. And I went and got that science from them and completed it. Um, but you've really got to, you, you probably are going to have to have the funding to be able to see it all the way through. And I think it's a, it's a design of what has commercial viability. It's really not unlike any yeah. other category, right? Am I really solving a problem? And is that problem something that only I experience? Or is it something that when I go out and talk to others about, everybody's nodding their head? That's sometimes, you know, I, I, I obviously have the fortune of seeing a lot of pitches, but yep. people will come in and they'll be solving a problem. And I'm like, yeah, but only you think it's a problem. Yeah. You have to be very objective in that, right? So you've got to figure out that you're meeting a, an unmet need. Love that. When it comes to, you know, your future, just how you look at business, what would you say is the top three things you've learned from your journey so far? Oh, that's just so good. Okay. Um, uh, never accept unwritten rules that are holding progress back. Be completely unapologetic in your mission and um, embrace the workhorse to become the unicorn. Wow. I have a fourth. The happy ending is up to you. <laughs> and you know my line of work. So yeah. it's really very important. I mean, that's so true. It's, it's ultimately up to you. Let's, can we talk a little bit about the unicorn workforce? Because I think that's so fundamental. You know, I, I feel like I was an entrepreneur. Not that I'm dating myself. But um, before there was even the Shark Tank era of, you know, the sexiness, if you will, to entrepreneurship. And, um, and we sometimes today, I think that we think that if we get the check, we've arrived. Funding becomes the destination. Funding is just the beginning. Yep. Like that actually strikes a little bit of terror when you get your first check from an investor because you got to pay them back and you got to pay them back plus something, right? If you yep. do your job well. So I think that we've glorified this unicorn status, declaring our greatness before we actually execute. You just got to put your head down and do the hard work. Yep. That's the only way you get there. Day yep. by day, consistently. Yep. What does your daily routine look like? Um, I am, um, I'm going to say the thing that you're not supposed to say. I get up, I'm immediately on my phone. Like I, you know, eyes closed, still reaching for my phone. And I think a lot of people would say, don't do that. Give yourself time to think. I have a different point of view. Social media for me is a reminder of all the joy in my life. Like yeah. all the colorful characters that I feel so fortunate to know. Um, and I think that starts my day, like on really the right tone. Um, and then I am, you know, immediately uh, into calls and meetings and, you yeah. know, everything else the whole day, um, often with my dog sitting on my lap as my, <laughs> my co-pilot through the day. But uh, I love that piece of it, like the interaction of it all and, and staying so close to it. I spend much less time behind my screen just typing yep. and much more talking face to face. Love it. When you do like public speaking, um, just, you know, gigs and speaking in front of audiences, yeah. what do you usually touch on and where do you try to deliver a key point? And just talk to me about that because I know yeah. you speak all over the country. Yeah. Well, I, a lot of them are just lessons learned. I mean, it's exactly what I just talked to you, dissecting, you know, how do you challenge a, a, an idea if it doesn't make any sense? Like, what is the path to do that? Um, you know, how do you unapologetically go about it? What does that mean? Um, and I love to talk in particular about culture. I told you about those six choices. Oh. I think that's so fundamental to the businesses that I see that are outstanding 
versus the businesses that are okay. Yeah. Culture, you know, cult, the, the, the businesses with the most incredible cultures will be the ones that find their way through the other side of this crisis. Yep. Right. COVID is the mother of creativity. Yep. Hey, very, how, how what would you say you've done during this crisis that you will, yeah. take, you know, moving forward? forward. Yes. You know what? It's funny. It was a conversation with Dan, actually one of our mutual friends and Dan was talking about his discipline, you know, every day of reaching out to five people. And I think that I'll confess, like in the every day, you know, like I'm so busy. Oh my gosh, I got to get on this call. I got to get to this meeting, whatever it is. You can excuse people who you hold dear, very dear, right? But you don't ne- always reach out to. Since we had that conversation, every day I've woken up and reached out to five people. And right. I got to tell you, there are people that I might not have talked to in the last two years, even though if we ran into each other at a conference, it would be like no time had passed. Mm-hmm. But now all of a sudden we're like, hey, why aren't we collaborating on this? Why aren't we doing this together? So it's been really such a good piece of, I took that nugget from him and I've applied it. Very cool. I want to just kind of go back in time when it comes to college. What was your college experience like? Um, So it was a little bit like, I don't know, kind of nerdish. (laughs) If I'm being honest. I went to, so here's here's why I say that. I went to a really small school um, because I ended up, I told you, I moved every year from the fourth grade through my senior year of high school. And when I got there, I was, I was in Fairfax, Virginia. That was my senior year of high school. And my criteria was I refused to move again. So I limited, like the only schools I looked at were in the DC area. And I ended up going to a really small school and I was so bound. I'm, I am competitive. I said this, that I was going to get out of school in three years. Wow. That was my goal. And I did it. Um, I had two things. So one thing is my parents hadn't saved enough money to pay for all of my college, but they had saved some. So I went to them and I said, if I get a scholarship, will you still let me have the money? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And um, I don't think they let me have all of it, but we made an agreement. I got a scholarship. um, So I worked for that my senior year. I got that. And I can remember having my mom drive me to Charles Schwab to invest when I was first in college. So that was one. And the other was three years. And I have, I said, I have two big brothers and I told my big brother, Oh my gosh, I'm going to make it. Like I'm going to get out in three years. And he called me and he said, you're an idiot. (laughs) I said, what do you mean? And he's like, all the rest of us are trying to take five years. Like, (laughs) what are you doing? Um, And I just, I've always been like racing, I think a little bit. Um, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. But I, I set these kind of goals to compete against my own personal best. Very cool. How has just with all the success you've had, your relationship with your brothers and just your yeah. family? Because I have two older brothers as well. And I'm, I'm the youngest of three. So talk to me about you oh, know, I love it. in your life and how those yeah. have evolved over time. They're huge. I mean, I'm so connected to my family because we moved, you know, having moved our whole lives, like, like it or not, we had to be friends when we got to the new place because we had no friends. Yeah. Um, so my brothers, I will tell you when I first started Slate and, you know, had this idea, like I wanted to go out and try for myself and I had no rich uncle. I did go to my big brothers who had little kids. They didn't really have like money on the waiting on the side to write yeah. to their little sister, but God bless them. They both did. They both gave me a little bit. And so now I like to walk into the room and say, aren't you lucky I'm your little sister? Cause I've made them both a little bit of money yeah. and they both, they both work with me today. 
Hey. So I, I, my brother uh, works inside of Sprout. He's instrumental to his, its success. Um, so very we're very tight knit. He's so awesome. Very tight knit. My, <laughs> my parents are so funny because they are, um, they're perfect, right? If I call them and I say, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm on this podcast or you need to listen to this. They're like, okay. Yeah. Like they're not impressed by anything, which is very good. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> they're just like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah good. Good for you. <laughs> that's awesome i have two more questions before we wrap up and yeah i just love like, i literally have the most amazing energy right now you give me so much positivity and energy but i want to ask just regarding mentorship did you have any key mentors in your life when you were building your business because this is something that to build a billion dollar company it's, it's not easy right not many yeah. people do it so how did you go about the process of learning from others and did you have any key mentors in your life can I tell you honestly? No. And I don't mean that I didn't learn from incredible people, but like our idea of mentorship, right? When I got into this industry, it's very male dominated. Um, very few women run healthcare companies today. And so if I looked up, really nobody looked like me. There wasn't a natural person who was going to be my sponsor. And so that, again, I think these things that you think are your um, you know, curses in some way become your blessings because what it did is it forced me to look to my left and my right. And I feel like every day I meet somebody new who's going to mentor me, right? I learn from everybody around me. Um, and that has, so I feel like I have perpetually had mentors, but not in the traditional sense. And I would say to all of your audience, don't think of it, don't limit yourself to think of it that way. Everyone sitting next to you can teach you something if you're open to listening to it. So uh, I'd love to think, who am I going to meet tomorrow that I'm going to learn from? I love that. Last question. And it's something to just, you know, touch on what I just talked about. If someone wants to build a billion dollar company, where do they start? <laughs> go, go. You will not ever have all the answers. So I've learned along the way, this really simple motto, and I want everybody to write it down. Success does not come from having all the answers. It comes from having the courage to mm. start. Love that. Just start. Be, you'll know the, you know the thing that you want to get done in this world. Start on that path. I would tell you for you know, your audience who's younger, one of the decisions I would say to make, not the decision that I did make, but now in hindsight that I see, don't choose where you want to go work. Choose who you want to go work with. Pick people yeah. always. The people who will teach you, who you can surround yourself by, that will make all the difference in your, in your complete trajectory and in you finding your real passion. I love that. Well, Cindy, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today. Your story is amazing and I just love your energy. Where's thank the you. best place that people can stay up to date with everything you have going on and where's the best place for them to follow? Oh, I hope you'll follow me at Cindy Pink CEO. It's my handle across all the social channels. And you can find us at thepinkceiling.com where if you got a great idea, you can come pitch us. Love it. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Casey.